Welcome to the Chapman CG Podcast, inspiring and informative conversations with HR leaders from around the world. An effective company culture can set the organization up for financial success and serve as a great competitive advantage. Leaders who prioritize company culture are willing to take an honest assessment of the status quo and are willing to engage their teams in cultural reform. But how can leaders harness the power of culture and connect the dots between culture and financial performance? I'm here today with Cathy Doyle, Chief People Officer at McDonald's Australia, to discuss the benefits of having an effective company culture. Cathy, great to have you with us today. Thank you, Fiona. Great to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at McDonald's. Uh, right, so I'm uh, quite new to McDonald's. I've been there about eight months and my role is Vice President and Chief People Officer for McDonald's Australia. So in that remit is everything to do with our people, right down you know, to those in the restaurants all the way up to corporate. So over 100,000 people, uh, 950 stores and covers uh, quite extensive training customer service uh, and facilities elements as well. And I've got a team of um, over 100 uh, that sort of work with me to deliver what we need to day-to-day at Macca's. Right. So across such a large population, how important is it for leadership to use company culture as a tool to drive strategy and performance? I've worked in a number of organisations, whether it's CBA, Qantas, Perpetual, or global organisations like BNP Paribas. Every one of them have had to identify what their culture is and what behaviours they either need to instill or, in a word, derail or recorrect to continue to harness both, uh, you know, company performance, which turns into financial success. Um, McDonald's is a little bit of a, a unique um, organisation in that sense, is that there is a very strong culture, which is, you know, get down to the stuff done, progress over perfection put the customer at the heart of what you do. But depending if you go into a store in Western Australia or Alice Springs or North Sydney, the culture in those restaurants are actually a little bit different. So the elements are the same, the, the approach to, to the, you know, the culture that exists within those teams is a little bit different. And the wonderful thing about that is the core identification of who owns the culture at what level. So absolutely the tone set from the top and our CEO, Andrew Gregory, and I constantly talk about, you know, what, what symbols have we got where, what is that signal sending to our culture. But every restaurant manager on a shift owns the culture or the environment and the atmosphere in the next four hours that they're operating or the next eight hours that they're operating. And they have a lot of data and information about what type of customers come in at that time, you know, the level of crew that are on the floor, um, the type of music that they might be playing in the restaurant or not. Right. Um, what happened in the news on the day, and all those little elements go to make up the environment. And you'll be amazed to see how you know people react to their environment as well as the work they do. And a strong culture builds resilience. A strong culture builds decision making. A strong culture builds proactivity. And all those things translate easily into company performance, which gives you financial benefit. So it's about who owns it at which level. And we've probably got over you know, 10,000 managers any one day, touching 1.8 million customers every day, always focused on that. So with that in mind, to what extent should a consistent approach be taken in the cultural onboarding of new employees, do you think? Um, look, I think it's a great question because we're all about diversity and embracing difference 
and harnessing inclusion, right? So that's one theme. But the other is, if people don't know how to operate within a culture or a culture feels alien to someone, then they can't deliver or they can't connect. And that can also, you know, derail a team. So it's a really delicate question and approach in that sense. So, so for us, we have a theme, an internal theme, and our internal brand is, I'm a Macca's person. You can, you know, the staff and from an orientation point of view, um, and we've got a little booklet on it, and it talks about what a Macca's person does, but also what a Macca's person does not. And it's really pointed down to some basic behaviour. So a Macca's person um, takes the initiative, a non-Macca's person waits to be told what to do. You know, simple things like that. And for new people coming on board, those simple things about, you know, even on your first shift or your first day or, you know, you turn up in the head office or whatever it is, they all say to me after their first three months, that showed me, you know, that I could actually ask questions that if I took the initiative and even if I didn't do the right thing, I said, look, I thought I was just taking the initiative because that's what you wanted me to do. All the managers recognise and applaud that. But if you don't tell people what that looks like and just assume they'll get it by osmosis or their manager will teach them, then you'll actually get, you, you, that individual will, will not assimilate as well or understand what, it, what success looks like. So it takes longer to onboard. By then, some people have engaged or haven't. Uh, some people are saying, well, this isn't for me, or others, others will redefine what they think their role is based on what they've had access to or not. Um, and it may just be, and if I can tell you as well, you know, 65,000 of our people uh, between the ages of 14 and 17. Right. So young people absolutely mm. love, and, and I love working with them. They're very smart, got a lot of initiative, um, but they need guidelines. And even when, you know, you get people that are, you know, 24, 25, uh, that come on in as well, they often say to me, wow, you guys are so structured. And I look back and I think, yeah, we are. I go, is that a good or bad thing? They go, no, I love it. But it don't, I, you know, from where I've come from, XYZ, we didn't have that. So yes. it may just be because of our employment model that we've had to build it, but it's actually been quite successful. And if you think you've got 104,000 people working across your business in any, you know, seven-day period, 24 hours a day, you've kind of got to have that to, to continue to give a level of consistency and financial performance, I think. Yes, absolutely. And what are the biggest roadblocks, do you think, when you're trying to bring about cultural reform across global operations? Um, I, look, I, not so much roadblocks as challenges. I, I, I think it's the old adage, and I know, I know I say it a lot, and I have throughout my career. I feel like sometimes I'm a broken record, and I've said things five, six, seven, eight times. Um, but I remember when I first started my career, and, and they said, you know, say it three times. I had a really great mentor that said, you say it nine times across three months before people start to get it. And so now when I'm launching into a sentence, people will finish it for me that's when I know that it's landed. Yes. So, so, so that over-communicates one uh, in terms of that. The other is just to be careful not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. So, you know, there's always things to work on and improve, but there's always elements of what a system has or someone's doing that's inherently good or inherently well-meant or inherently, you know, um, from the heart. And you've got to clearly identify that and then how to build on that. So it's not like you've always got to, you know, start from scratch. I think that that's the other key thing. And any organisation or individual wants to build, in my view, wants to build and extend themselves. So if you can harness it that way, uh, then it's not so much cultural reform as cultural evolution or progression. And we've done an amazing thing around Create Your Taste where we've actually 
taken the whole essence of pre-made burgers into, well, you can order whatever you like and we'll make it for you in a system where it had never been engineered that way and a culture where, where we were always defining what people could have as opposed to asking what people could have. And that transition happened fairly quickly um, with great success for us, for customers and our business, but our staff were even more engaged because we communicated so much along the way and kept them informed in the journey. And lastly, what advice would you give to other HR leaders in organisations that are on the cusp of a cultural facelift? Uh, it's not just HR's job, um, and I'm sure every, everyone in the HR leadership role would be nodding madly. Um, yes. But that means that that started HR's job to make sure that you corral whose job it is, and you clearly identify what tasks it wear and what success looks like. So don't be frightened to say to your CEO, this is what I need you to do over the next three to six months, and it's part of embedding our culture and give them direction and give them feedback on how they're going. By all means, go to the senior leadership team that you're part of and don't update them where the culture's at. Just put a, you know, a cultural brainstorming session and ask each of them to say what they have done or their teams have done in relation to delivering on our, you know, the cultural journey. So it's about just, you know, facilitating those discussions. Um, and then have some, not some metrics as in how staff feel only, which I think is important, but key business metrics. So one that we use, for example, at Macca's, is on the cultural journey, we wanted an external measure from our customers. We've got a service measure, but we actually inserted one, which is McDonald's a good employer. And in the last nine months, that has shifted seven points more positive than it was. And we've done nothing else but engaged our staff on a cultural journey around a differentiated product. And that's translated to our employment brand with our customers. As, you know, and we know we've got higher staff engagement. So get some of those great metrics that actually think about, wow, you're a good employer, therefore you're a good business, therefore, you know, I want to come and visit you, but also I want my children to work for you or, or I think you're a great, you know, all those things um, are important and it goes to reputation. So there are some really innovative other metrics you can think about um, that you build into it uh, and, you know, just keep it on the map. You keep talking about it. Like you talk about, you know, the financials every month, you talk about your culture. It's not an annual survey. It's absolutely critical to, to you know, always bring it into every meeting or every reporting session with the key group. Fascinating stuff. Thank you, Cathy, for sharing your comments and insights today. I'm here with Cathy Doyle, Chief People Officer at McDonald's Australia, and she's been sharing her insights on the benefits of an effective company culture. For more excellent conversations from Chapman CG, subscribe to our podcast series or check us out at chapmancg.com.